The book of 2 John. The elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. Thus ends our reading of God's salvific word. May all who hear it walk in the truth, the truth who is Jesus Christ. Well, I have four Sundays left. Four Sundays to open up God's word. Four Sundays to expound upon the wisdom within. Four Sundays to teach and to preach. Four Sundays to rebuke and to correct. Four Sundays to encourage and to edify. Four Sundays to train you in righteousness so that you may be equipped for every good work. Four Sundays. That's not a lot of time. And as I was praying and pondering over what God would have me do, he, I, I believe he directed my thoughts to what I think are the greatest needs that this church currently faces, especially considering the uncertain future that is before you. And one of those needs is a new pastor. Am I right? That's why today we are looking at this short epistle written by the Apostle John. For what we find in this letter is both a warning and an instruction. A warning considering the danger that you now face and an instruction regarding how to navigate such danger. But before we get to that, let's... Let's take a quick look at the context of this letter. What, what is it that we need to know about this epistle of John? Like I said earlier, 2 John was penned by the Apostle John. 
a man who had been with Jesus, who had been taught by, by God himself. And it was written to a specific church dealing with a specific issue that that church was facing. Now, we don't know what church this was, but most likely it was a Gentile church located in the Greco-Roman world. For they were, they were dealing with an issue that probably would not have arisen in a church full of Jewish converts. And yet, even though this is the case, even though there seems to be a narrow context to this letter, this, this letter it has a broad application that really speaks to all churches. And I feel that it has a timely message for you as well. For within this letter is a call for discernment, something of which you will need a great deal of in the upcoming months. So let's, let's look at this letter. Let's see what we can learn. And let's start with a greeting. Look at, look at verses 1 through 3. To the elder, or the elder, to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. In this rather lengthy greeting, we, we find our author addressing himself as the elder. And this is a common title that is still used within the church today by those who are overseers, by those who are called to this servant leadership. It is a title that expresses both John's authority over these people as well as his fatherly concern for them. John, he calls himself the elder because this church was under his care. And he addresses them, he calls them the chosen lady and her children. Now, this may seem strange to us, but this was really a euphemism that, of that time that in order to address a local body of believers. It was a metaphor, if you will. I mean, after all, the church is the chosen bride of Christ, is she not? And so this was a term of endearment, a term of love to these folks that he was writing to. They were the, the bride of Christ. They were the chosen ones who were loved by Jesus. But John then extends his greeting further by saying these words, Whom I love in the truth. Whom I love in the truth. It is with these words that we get our first clue as to the theme of this letter. Truth is a, is a subject that this author wants to address. But not just truth, but truth as an expression of love. If you take a quick glance over these 13 verses that make up this letter, you will see that the words truth and that the words love, they're, they're each used five times in this rendering that we get from the NIV. And John will also talk about deception and about remaining in the teachings of Christ. And so we see that, the, that it is this topic of truth that is so, so vitally important to him. So what is this truth that John is referring to? 
This will become clear as we go further into the letter, but suffice it to say that John was referring to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of Jesus Christ, both who he is and what he has done. And it is because of this truth, because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished for us, that John has this love for this church. That is the reason they are dear to him. And, and, and not just to him, but to all who know the truth. In other words, to all true believers. What, what John is expressing here in this introduction is, is, this, is that there is this universal connection that links all of God's children in a bond of love. And it has nothing to do with personality. It has nothing to do with familiarity. But it has everything to do with the common truth that they confess. A truth that lives in them and is with them forever. You see, this truth that John speaks of is more than just an intellectual understanding regarding Jesus. Rather, it is an abiding relationship with Jesus. After all, it was Jesus who said these words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ is the author of truth. Think of it this way. It is this common creed about Jesus, a creed that has been empowered by the indwelling spirit of Christ that unites his church in this eternal bond of love. Let me repeat that for you. It is this common creed about Jesus, a creed that has been empowered by the indwelling spirit of Christ that unites his church in this eternal bond of love. If you are here today, and if you have turned from your sins and are, are now trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he is God, that he is a God, that he is God who became man and dwelt among us, and that he died for our sins, and that he rose from the dead three days later and is now seated upon his throne in heaven. If you have faith in him, in that Jesus, then you too are united in this bond of love with all who believe likewise, with all who have Jesus Christ dwelling within them. And this is why I begin each and every Sunday with these words, that we are a loving family. Because that's who we are in Jesus Christ. That's our identity. And that's what John is saying to this church that he loves. That they too are a part of this loving family. Talk about a powerful, powerful greeting from this apostle. With such an introduction, it kind of makes you wonder what John will have to say once we get into the heart of this letter. Well, let's find out. Look at, look at verse 4. John says this. It gives me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. It gives me great joy to find some of your children Walking in the truth. Just some? Not all? 
Now, what does John mean by walking in the truth? To walk in the truth is really an extension of what we just talked about in the introduction. For, for walking in the truth is to live in accordance to what the truth is. It is to take that confession concerning Jesus Christ, both who he is and what he has done, and then to live that confession out through our thoughts, through our speech, and through our actions. And it gives John great joy when he, he sees his brothers and sisters in Christ living in such a fashion. But again, we, we have to ask this question. Why did John say some of the children? Some of the children of this church are walking in the truth. Why didn't he say all? <clears throat> what could cause... If some were and some weren't, what would cause these others to not be walking in the truth? Before we discover the answer to that question, John will first remind this church of the words of his Lord. Look at, look at verses 5 and 6. And now, dear lady, I, I am not writing a, you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Once again, John uses this word, walk, to describe what he is trying to proclaim. In verse 4, it was to walk in the truth. And now here we have, we have walk in obedience and to walk in love. And there is a connection between these things. Think of it this way. Embracing the truth will lead to both a love for Jesus and a love for God's people. And it is this love that will in turn lead to obedience. Obedience to Christ's command. So it is our theology that, that drives our affections. And it is our affections that drive our actions. But it all begins with walking in the truth, what we believe. And so John's desperate, desperate plea to this church is that she would be grounded in the truth, which would then ground them in a love for Jesus, allowing for them to then love one another in their obedience towards Christ. But that's just it. There were some in this church that were not walking in obedience. There were some in this church that were not walking in love. There were some in this church that were not walking in the truth. And so John gives them this warning. Look, look at verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Ouch. Those are some harsh words. But it is in these words where we finally get to the heart of the matter, to the specific issue that this church had faced. John, John tells them that there are many deceivers who do not acknowledge as Jesus coming in the flesh. Now, what does he mean by this? What, what he is referring to are the docetists. 
What is docetism, you ask? That's a good question. It's just one of those ancient words that we no longer use. Docetism was a, a first century cult. It was a heretical offshoot of the Christian faith. It was this belief that, that denied the humanity of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, it had also denied the saving work of Jesus upon the cross. You see, docetism taught that while Jesus was truly God, he was not truly man. Rather, he was some type of phantasm or, or a mirage, that he only appeared to us as a man. But here's the issue with that thought. If Jesus wasn't a man, if he didn't have flesh and blood, well, then he couldn't have died for our sins. And he couldn't have risen from the dead, bringing eternal life to those who trust in him. And this is why John calls such men deceivers and antichrists. For these men were, were spreading lies about, about our Lord. They were speaking against him. And against his gospel. Hence the word anti-Christ. Now today when you see the word anti-Christ, what do you think of? A man like Adolf Hitler? Mao Zedong? Vladimir Putin? Uh, our minds, they tend to go off in a million different directions, do they not? Due to both a, a sloppy biblical interpretation into Christian pop culture, when we see this word being used, we, we tend to think of some maniacal world leader, that, that some, some type of tyrant who is trying to take over the world. But that's not the kind of man that, that John was speaking of when he wrote this letter. No. For, for, the one, for, for one, he didn't believe that there was just one Antichrist. This is what we read in our first scripture reading. Look, at, look again at 1 John 2, verses 18 and 19. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You see, when John uses this term Antichrist, he, he was not thinking of, in, of this one world maniacal uh, tyrant who's trying to take everything over. Rather, he was thinking about many people. People who had come into the church spreading their lies, spreading their heresies concerning Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, these, these people would remain in the church until true believers became bold enough and finally called them out and removed them. And, and this is why he said that they, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. And now here in our letter for today, John was sounding the alarm. The alarm concerning these same kinds of people. These docetists. These purveyors of lies who have gone out into the world. Apparently, they were having an influence on this church. And that is why he was warning them to watch out. For they will try to, try to worm their way in and continue their destructive ways. You see, these people, these, these antichrists, they, they still want to be called Christians. Even though they're not. 
even though what they preach is against Christ. And so they would travel far and wide, trying to spread their false teachings to anyone who would listen. They were trying to gain converts to their cult. For that's what an Antichrist does. That's their function. To deceive God's people and lead them away from the truth. And that is why it is, they work so, so hard trying to infiltrate the church. For they are Satan's pawns in his war against God. Well, having now revealed his true purpose of his letter, John continued this warning. Look at, look at verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for. What has this church worked for? For the souls of people. For that eternal reward that can only come through Jesus Christ. But if they stopped walking in the truth, then there would be no reward. For they would not have the true Jesus. And they would not have a sacrifice for their sins. John didn't didn't want these people whom he loves to be taken in by the lies of the enemy. No. He desired their salvation. Dear friends, this is why theology is so important. It is why what you believe is so vital. For, For if you get your theology wrong, If you get what you believe wrong, then you have no salvation. Listen, like Julie said earlier, there, there will be many in this world who will tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are a good person. And while this sounds pleasing, while it sounds wise, it is a lie from the pit of hell. And if you go down that road, you you will find that it only leads to destruction. That it only leads to eternal torment and suffering. Listen listen to what John says in verse 9. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And here we see this contrast, do we not? Between those who do not have God and those who have both the Father and the Son. And what's the difference? The the difference is is that some want to run ahead, while others want to continue in the teaching of Christ. Now to run ahead is to not continue in the teaching of Christ. It is to embrace these new and novel teachings. And this is exactly what the docetists brought. They they were bringing this fresh idea about who Jesus was. An idea that happened to be more pleasing to the culture that they were living in. Here's what you need to know about the Greco-Roman world. The teachings of Plato was pretty much accepted by everyone. And Plato, this philosopher, taught that the material world, the physical, 
was basically just a copy or a form of what was truly real. And so a chair is only a chair because it has chair-like qualities. And yet, according to Plato, it is flawed. For it is only a copy of the real thing. A copy in the, the, he would call the spiritual realm, where there was a true chair. And that chair was just copied into the material world. And similarly, a man is only a man because of his man-like qualities. But just like that chair, his physical body is only a copy. It is only a form, if you will, of the original. And thus, it is flawed. It is littered with imperfections. Now expand that thought on the teachings about Jesus. How, how could God, who is perfect, take on flesh? How, how could he take on this form that, that, that was only a flawed representation of the real thing? This is why when the Apostle Paul spoke to the crowds in Athens about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that many of the people there sneered at him. For the idea that, that God would even want flesh was ludicrous to them. And this is why docetism, these, the, these false teachers that had come into this church, why their teaching was so dangerous. For this notion that Jesus did not become a man but was just a mirage was appealing to the world at large. For it fit this Platonic worldview that, that they were raised in. It was an acceptable teaching to the masses. Here's the bottom line. These deceivers, these antichrists, desired to have the good news of the gospel on their own terms. And so they embraced the culture around them rather than the truth. Let's translate this to, to Today. What are the deceptions that, that plague our churches in the 21st century? What are the new and novel teachings coming from today's antichrists? Probably the most prevalent is the denial of the sinfulness of sin. As a society, we, we have somehow fooled ourselves into thinking that, that nothing is taboo, that, that anything goes. And the way we get away with this is by either changing the definitions of our words or by creating new words in order to soften the blow. For instance, words like male, female, and marriage can now mean a myriad of different things. This is why we have a man competing against women on the Pennsylvania swimming team and, and nobody says a word about it. Let me give you another example. Consider the word fetus. Fetus was not common parlance until the mid-20th century, but now it's used all the time. Why? Why has it become suddenly so popular? Because it is a word that dehumanizes the baby that is growing inside a mother's womb. If you can take away the personhood of the individual, well, then you can get away with murder. In fact, you can be praised for it. I mean, these are the tactics that our society uses today to explain away their sins. It is a postmodern sleight of hand. 
And unfortunately, there are many today who, who will take these same tactics and apply them to God's word. They, they will say that the author didn't mean what he really said, even though the words are as plain as day. They, they, they are master manipulators. They are word magicians. They have forked tongues. And they will twist the meaning of God's word for their own wicked gain. In other words, they, they run ahead and do not continue in the teaching of Christ. And thus, they do not have God. What John is commanding of us today is to avoid such foolishness. To remain in the truth. The truth that Jesus has set down for us. Only then will we have both the Father and the Son. But how do we do so? How do you remain in the truth? By walking in the truth. But in order to walk in the truth, then you need to know the truth. And in order to know the truth, then you need to be a student of God's Word. Walking in the truth will require of you diligent study, it is hard work. Yet if you do this, if you are faithful to read and to meditate on Scripture, then you will be able to detect all these false teachings that might come your way. You will be able to avoid these deceivers. And you will be able to walk in obedience. To walk in love. And to walk in the truth. But in order to do so, you must, you must be in God's word. Well, John, he, he follows up this warning with this instruction. Look at, look at verses 10 and 11. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Part of loving one another means that you're going to protect one another. Even when that protection seems harsh and cruel to the outside world. And this is what John was asking of this church. That they would not provide hospitality to anyone who would preach a different gospel. To anyone who would preach a different Jesus. Now in the early church, they, they didn't have great buildings like what we're in today. And instead, they would meet in people's homes. And so what John meant when he wrote these words was, was that they weren't to welcome these false teachers into their church. Don't give them the platform. Don't, don't, don't give them a voice to proliferate their blasphemy. In other words, they were not to welcome, them in, welcome in these heretical teachers or allow them any opportunity to spread their wicked beliefs. For to do so would be to share, to share in their wickedness. Bottom line, if they didn't have the true message of Jesus, the message that they had heard from the beginning, then they were not to invite them into their church. You as a church are about to go through a lot of changes. And part of that change means welcoming in new teachers. Am I right? 
There will be Sundays when you just need the pulpit filled. Then there will be the decision of choosing an interim pastor. And then finally, there will come that day when you will need to choose a new pastor. This will not be an easy decision. For there will be many, many who will want access to this pulpit. Some will be faithful to the truth. And others will not. And now it is up to you. It is your responsibility to guard this pulpit. To guard it from wolves. Wolves who want to come in and scatter the sheep. It is now up to you to protect one another from these antichrists. From those who want to deceive you and preach a different gospel. And preach a different Jesus. You must not let them in. For the only thing that they will truly bring is death and destruction. Your task is not an easy one. For you will be tempted to cave. Cave to the demands of society. You may even have have people who who have left the church suddenly come back and try to convince you to get away from sound biblical theology. You may even have strangers, people you have never met before, suddenly walk through those doors and wanting to give their two cents on how this church should run. These men and women, they will try to persuade you to follow the trends of this world. To, they will try to convince you to run ahead. That that is the only way to grow this church. You must not listen. You must stand strong. Look at, look at 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. It says this, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. There will be some of you who will be tempted. You will consider things such as numeric growth or a more pleasing message. And there will be these false teachers who will say things that, you, that your heart wants to hear. And yet they will be teaching the opposite of what God's word really says. This temptation will be real. It's like a a sugar-coated poison. It will taste sweet going down, but will turn bitter within and ultimately lead to your demise. You must not fall prey. You must not buy into their lies. And the way that you can love your brothers and sisters in Christ is by protecting one another, protecting them from these false teachers. Do not take them into your house. Do not welcome them in. Well, to end his letter, John leaves this church with these words. Look at our last verses. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your chosen sister send their greetings. 
Well, John was now letting them know that he would be coming soon. Thus, they better make certain that they were being obedient to the instructions of his letter. That these false teachers who had been disrupting their love would be cast out. You see, in order for John's joy to be complete, he he desired not not that some of the members would be walking in the truth, but that all of the members would be walking in the truth. That each and every one of them would hold fast to Jesus Christ, the one who came in the flesh and died for their sins. And it is the same thing that would bring this pastor joy as well. That each and every single one of you would be walking in the truth. That you would love your brothers and sisters in Christ by protecting them from any false teachers who would want to fill this pulpit. From any antichrist who denies the core teachings of the faith. It would bring me joy if you would not welcome them into your house. Not welcome those who want to lead God's people astray. It would bring me joy if you would remain true to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so my encouragement to you is to walk in the truth. Is to walk in love. And is to walk in obedience to our Savior's commands. If you do that, then my joy will be complete. Let us pray. Father, we come to you now knowing that it is only through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we have any hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is our only means into your presence. And so we ask now that you would instill within us the conviction that we need to remain firmly planted in the truth. That we would, we would walk in the truth, even when the world around us is telling us otherwise. And may that truth lead to an affection for you, that we might also walk in love. A love for you and a love for one another. And may that love translate into our obedience, obedience to your commands. And may we protect one another these upcoming days by not allowing in any deceivers, by not allowing in any of these modern-day antichrists. We can only do this with your strength. And so we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that he would be our guide, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.